welcome to the latest episode of the Shamrock, our second Ohio State preview edition. Uh, my trusted colleague Matt Fortuna is not with me from Chicago. He's somewhere on I-65 driving to West Lafayette for Penn State Purdue tonight. So Ralph Russo, kind enough to join us. I think it's definitely a, if I come on your podcast, you have to come on mine situation. What, yeah, a little home and away yeah. um, situation. <laughs> it, it, I always like to say, like, I have, I tend to have so many guests on the AP Top 25 college football podcast. There's my plug from The Athletic. I feel like sometimes we are a satellite podcast yeah. <laughs> for The Athletic between, I, 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 I literally make a concerted effort not to put, your colleagues on you and your colleagues on too much because i figure like you all have your own podcast and people hear from y'all enough a lot of talking we've got a lot of talking about college football at the athletic um ralph you were in south bend this week spent a little time with marcus freeman spent a little time with jack swarbrick now you're in columbus despite um some of the art behind you in this guest room (laughs) that you are uh where i see a photo of touchdown jesus back there so uh, Notre Dame always never, never far from you, um, even in probably in Brooklyn where you live. So uh, I was interested first about your conversation with Swarbrick. You had a story on the AP, um, which I would encourage people to read because I, I, I don't think Swarbrick has talked a whole lot on the record about sort of some of the craziness with conference realignment and Notre Dame's independence. What did you take away from that conversation? I don't know if there was anything necessarily new, but it kind of affirmed what we kind of thought his position would be. Yeah. uh, Jack definitely didn't commit any real news, um, but he, you know, I thought it was interesting. It was the top of the story. So clearly it was the most interesting thing to me. Right. Uh, Cause I was trying to look for like, okay, like what, what's, what could possibly make some news be newsy here or newsy news ish here. And the way I framed the question to him, I was like, you know, you took over here in 2008 and I wonder if you compare where things are now in college sports. Do you feel Notre Dame's independence is more threatened now than it was then? And I was thinking very big picture, not necessarily because of what Notre Dame was doing, but because of the swirl of everything around Notre Dame. The concept being that you know, we, we, we tend to feel like if Notre Dame ever is going to give up its independence, it's going to be uh, not of its own volition, right? It's going to be sort of forced into it. And what I was trying to get at, you know, do you think the conditions in college sports now would accommodate or would, would are more likely to force Notre Dame's hand? And what he said is, no, I think it's exactly the opposite. He's like, I feel like we are more comfortable now or less threatened, I think, because he sort of turned my words on me and said less threatened now than we were in 2008. Because, again, he was looking at it from the Notre Dame prism. Right. He's looking at it and saying... Back in 2008, we were coming off lean years. We were like, you know, the 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 dome was tarnished. However, you want to, you know, call, <laughs> that's, call that's it. That's coded language around here, Ralph. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Like he didn't use that. Yeah, I'm saying yeah. that, but 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 clearly, like there was, you know, there was a, a period of time. Is Notre Dame relevant? Can right. they be good again? They they are they are out of that. From what from Swarbrick's perspective, he's like, no, no, we we've left that behind. We have shown we can compete at the highest levels. Now, again, we can get into what I rather not like. The very, very highest <laughs> level is still sort of elusive, but nonetheless, Notre Dame is one of the five or six most successful programs over the last you know seven or eight years in college football. We have invested in the program 
more so than we have, and we have more investments coming. You know, I, I think that they feel as it basically as long as we are showing that we are good and we can compete at a very high level, we can continue to be independent. If there comes a point where competing at the highest level is a problem and we feel like independence is part of that problem, then maybe we have to make some a different call here. I thought that was an interest like I understand what he's saying. Like they couldn't play defense in 2008. Like that there some very fundamental things were wrong with Notre Dame football back then. Um, but I when I took his words about like if we 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 show we can't compete at the highest level, then maybe we have to rethink that. Like I I don't know. I, I wonder how like Notre Dame will always be attractive, but if Notre Dame is suddenly starting to go seven and five again, how does that impact how attractive they actually are. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, listen, again, he didn't say this because I don't think he wants to come across as being overly crass, but I think that relates directly to how valuable a TV product are. We? Right. Now they're going to sign a deal here. They, their deal's coming up pretty soon here and they will be able to you know, talk to some TV execs and they'll tell you like, listen, Notre Dame has a value even when they're not good. But if we are dealing with one team and one property, what we're most likely going to do is show me your last five to seven years of results. And unless things go really bad for Marcus Freeman over the next couple of years, Notre Dame will head into those TV negotiations with some pretty nice results, plus all the other things that Notre Dame brings, mm -hmm. which will always bring, which is a national fan base, which is, uh, again, uh, you know, as someone who covers college football nationally, there's a handful of, of teams who are always interesting. They are interesting when they are good. In some ways, they are even more interesting when they are bad. But that doesn't necessarily work for TV. TV needs the wins, too. Right. That, you know, I'd be I was interested if you you thought about it in this terms at all um because as, as i've sort of thought about tv and talked to people about the tv revenue and like whether notre dame should be if they're around 25 if they can get to 65 or they can get to 60 it almost feels like notre dame is its own with nbc its own sort of uh sec on cbs 330 game package where it's just like it's been like sort of this handshake agreement for a long time and now like all right that's not working anymore like we have to have the revenues to keep up we like we like our partnership, but we need more out of it from you, NBC, than what we're getting. Clearly, uh, you know the number that keeps sort of getting circulated. Again, I, I don't, I, I think it's back of the napkin math for some right. of these folks who work in TV. Is well, if they can get to sixty five between a combination of whatever their ACC revenue is, which is ten and change, and then you're looking at maybe a fifty five million dollar a years from NBC or maybe even more than that. I mean, we've seen the reports about they're going to ask for, you know, 75 million or whatever that is. Because that was the other question I kind of I really was interested in asking Jack even though I knew he would not answer it, which is what is this what is the number that triggers as far as the gap? You you understand he 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 gave the line he always gives, we understand that by being independent it will cost us. It's right? tax. There's a, yeah, it's there's a tax. tax on being independent, independent, and all those things. He said those same things all the time, and he said it to me. So what I tried as best I could, but again, knowing that he probably wasn't going to answer it, is like, what? What's the number where the gap becomes 
too big with your peers. And again, Notre Dame's peers are the teams that compete for national championships. So I know, again, some people who are non-Notre Dame folks might think of that and go, that's kind of silly. But the fact of the matter is, when like Notre Dame is playing a peer this weekend in Ohio State. It will play a peer when it plays in Michigan. It will play a peer when it played Georgia, the Alabamas of the world. They want to compete at that level. And if those Big Ten teams and SEC teams are in the hundred million range, at what point is it 10 million? Is it 15 million? Is it 25 million? Does 30 trigger you and go, right. hmm? Now it's going to be hard. And of course, again, he gives the answers of, listen, it's not just how much you make, it's how much you spend. And we do things here a little differently. And, you know, we have the ability to maybe be a little more, uh, he didn't use the word frugal because he would never want to do use that, <laughs> but let's say efficient. I think the, the yeah. word he probably used was efficient. So again, like they can make do with a certain gap here. What is the number? But I think what everybody wants to know is, at some point, it becomes too big, and if somebody's offering you a way to close that gap, you might have to take it. But what is unknown right now is exactly what is the number that triggers, oh boy, that's too much. And I, I'm sort of fascinated by like a couple steps forward on this. Like If the NCAA governance model changes where you can have scholarships are suddenly unlimited... If coaches are unlimited, like you have to fund that stuff because you know Alabama is going to fund it, you know Ohio State's going to fund it. Like, how does Notre Dame keep up in that realm? Like, that's that's off a little bit, but I don't think it's that far away. It's something that Notre Dame at least has to think about. Oh well, listen, I mean, I I, I think that is not that far off the idea of whether it's unlimited scholarships, but at least something that has to that looks like revenue being some of your revenue going to the players, right? There's at some point going to be a situation where some of this TV revenue from the Big Ten and the SEC ends up in players' pockets. I don't know if that's tomorrow, five years from now, but it's it's sooner rather than later. So, right, how does Notre Dame fund that? Like, even if there's only yeah. 85 scholarships, but now all of a sudden, you know, we don't have to pay the players, but the Big Ten players are getting a little a little piece of that that TV revenue. You know, another thing that I don't think I don't I think it might have been left on the cutting room floor was governance. I asked him about are you if everything now will flow if governance flows through the conferences and the conferences sort of set the rules as you said, where the SEC decides, you know what, no scholarship limits, full speed ahead. No coaching limits, full speed ahead, things along those. And maybe the Big Ten is ready to jump on board with that. If you are not in a conference, do you not have a say in any of that? Right. Like, yeah, are, I'm are you are that. you voiceless in this conversation? And, you know, what, what he said, and again, this is, you know, sort of like didn't make the story. So here's what, what ended up on the cutting room floor was you know, th this is where the relationships with the commissioners and through the CFP come involved. You know, the idea that, you know, we like to think that we have the ears of people who will be making this decision. And we like to think that we find that we, that we can have some voice with the, the people who are making these decisions. But We'll see. I mean, again, like you can say that you can say that, you know, well, we can we'll be in some of the rooms where the discussions are being had. But ultimately, if you don't have a vote, what do you do? Right. Yeah. I think if the last couple of years have taught us nothing, is just like you can't just assume that you have a voice and then 
UCLA and USC leave the Pac-12 and Texas and Oklahoma move. And you're like, wait a minute. I thought we all were in agreement. I thought we had an alliance of sorts, a gentleman's agreement, if you will. Like that just that doesn't really hold up. Um, I did. You also spent some time with Marcus. I want to transition to that and getting into the game now. And like, I know you had done like some Zoom calls with him when they probably kind of the media rollout charm offensive in December. Um, so it's the first time you're in a room with the guy. Probably not as uh, relaxed or easygoing as he would be in June, um, the week of the Ohio State game. But I, I was interested in sort of your in-the-flesh impressions of him. Yeah, listen, I so like somewhat notable the fact that going into this enormous football game, he even allowed, hey, come to my office for a half an hour, we'll chat. You know, which says something for Katie Lonergan and the <laughs> and the SID staff there. To I, I would think to a certain degree, and probably a little something about Marcus and and the fact that he maybe is again a little more chill than you might find some other coaches. Uh, the, the simple fact that they would allow that on a, on a midweek. You know, you know, listen, I'm not that famous. He they did not need to. <laughs> I'm not NBC. They have a certain amount of obligations, right? You're to, not paying to, Notre Dame for the privilege to be there. Yeah, I mean, they have obligations with TV partners that will fill up his week aside. They did not necessarily need to let me in the room. So I would say, you know, actually, somewhat surprised at how sort of you know. Uh, uh, in that, I don't know if mellows mellows definitely not the right word, but somewhat you know not particularly like hey we got to get through this and um, you know not particularly guarded about. Yeah, listen, I, I didn't exactly pin him down with a bunch of really hard questions. I was just asking him about his time at Ohio State. I tried to steer away from what's it going to be like on Saturday because he's he's sort of heard that question a lot. But I did want to dig into how did Ohio State sort of impact you like what what and you listen you wrote up an opus on it so i don't necessarily <laughs> there's no way i barely scratched the surface on what you did but that idea of like how did playing for jim tressel influence you how did working in that athletic department as an intern uh influence the way you see college sports in the big picture so it was li listen he is he is definitely a guy who seems to be very comfortable in his own skin uh, he seems to have a pretty good idea of who he wants to be as a head coach, but at 36 years old, having coached only one game under, you know, triage conditions, uh, you know, who knows if how, how that's going to evolve. I think he's, uh, you know, I think he's an easy guy to talk to. How about that? Yeah. He's a pretty easy guy to talk to. He remembered me. It was like, hey, you know, good to have you here. And I think there is, listen, I don't know if that translates to anything positive for Notre Dame, but again, he's got a certain way he carries himself, which is, has a, a, a I think, a combination of charisma and approachability. Yeah. He's, I think he's somebody that you feel like when you sit down and talk to him, he's listening to what you're saying and might remember it. Mm -hmm. And like all due respect to Brian Kelly, who was a great coach, uh, the moment that conversation ended, he didn't remember any of it. Um, it was, you know, it's just a different style of interaction than I think what no maybe Notre Dame people are used to. Yeah, without listen, yeah, he is he is definitely different from BK. <laughs> um, 
who, yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't, I, I can't sum it up any, any better than that. He is a very different vibe from BK. I think there's a lot of confidence there without necessarily sort of like skirting into the arrogance area. Um, uh, my biggest takeaway from, from, uh, having some time with him in person in his office and being at his, uh, press conference is, you know, his Tuesday availability or Monday availability. He is even more handsome in person. That was my main <laughs> takeaway. I'm like this guy really is is phenomenally good looking. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely has some uh, recruiting vibes. I, I sort of joked in you know in December when like he's going around to do the in home visits with ki- with kids. Yeah, I felt like I saw a lot more photos on social media where the moms were in the photo <laughs> uh, than maybe what I was used to seeing with Brian Kelly. It was just. There was there was something in the air there. Um, so so in the office, he you know he has this sort of the the the, the polo, of course. But I just noticed that the press and this was the, what jumped out at me at the press conference. Like he had like clearly a tailored shirt, like a oh, fitted yeah. shirt. You know that extra button open, not too much, so that like it's awkward. But and he just he just looked so polished and sharp in that setting. And my, that was it. My main takeaway was I don't know if any other coach in the country is looking that good for Monday press conference most of them are coming in you know in sweats and he was you know dress pants and tailored tailored fitted shirt he is a he is a well-dressed man um yeah. i know one of his tailors is a esq in chicago where a sort of a notre dame guy and their stuff is it's very high end he is uh, I, I joked with marcus like like where do you like where do you get all this stuff and he's like I really could have used this at Cincinnati, but like nobody ever sent me anything. Now I'm making all this money. People send you stuff all the time. Of course. Like, thanks a lot, guys. Like, I, yeah. a couple of years ago, this would have been very helpful. You're in, in Columbus now. For me, I like, I've been covering Notre Dame for 22 years. First trip to Columbus for a game. I've passed through there, never seen a game there. You've been there a bunch, football availabilities, games, so on and so forth. Describe the environment because I mean you you're going to national games a lot. Um, yeah. How what is Ohio State like? What's its sort of peer and atmosphere? How do you sort of describe it? Because I think the what I've heard about it is that it is quite hostile uh, if you're a road fan going to the game. Um, but what is what is sort of the the environment there? So the, the, the big difference, because it can feel like an SEC place, right? It can definitely, but it, it also definitely isn't. And I don't, I don't mean that disparaging to either the SEC, you know, the big SEC places that, you know, we all sort of like, you know, the LSU's Alabama right. are electric. It can definitely feel electric here in uh, Columbus. I spent a lot of time in Columbus, so you know my brother lives here, so I have a lot of familiarity with this with this city in general. And I think that's the biggest thing. It is Columbus is a is a pretty big city. Uh, now it has the feel of a college town because everybody is down with the Buckeyes, yeah. right? So it, it gets a little bit of that college town. But I think the fact that it is a city. Um, and you know, and and with the, the bigger population, um, I think to a certain degree, I would say this: Ohio State fans and Ohio Stadium can be extremely loud. Uh, it can be a, again an electric environment. I don't know if it is as sustained at some of as some of the SEC places, 
Um, I'm not sure, you know, maybe it has a little bit of that thing that Michigan always had where it's a little bit of an older crowd. I don't think this is that much like the, or like Notre Dame actually for years right. had that, had that reputation of, you know, the fans sitting on their hands. I think there's a somewhat of an element of that here, maybe because it is a city, a little more cosmopolitan. Maybe it just gets people to be, uh, you know, a little less raucous to a certain degree, but it's a great atmosphere. It is very loud. It could be, you know, you know, the 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 tailgate around the tailgate around the stadium is again because it's a city. It has a little less of the sprawled out feel that some of the SEC places do. Um, Maybe not quite as welcoming as some of the SEC places as far as their tailgating. But again, you know, I don't do with that part of it quite as much so I'll, I'll refrain from from analyzing that too much but it's a great listen man it's a great place just to watch a game and i've been here for a lot of very big games um i i guess again i i think i i i will it just as far as like the in-stadium atmosphere i find that if Oh, if things don't go well for Ohio State, they are you. You, it's a little easier to take the crowd out of it than maybe some of these other rabid places. I feel like at Ohio State, you can get the crowd out of it if you can get the Buckeyes on their heels a little more than maybe at some other places. Interesting. Yeah, it's, I'm trying to think of like the best Notre Dame road venues I've been to when they played Georgia in 19. Oklahoma in 12. There was those two Michigan games in 11 and 13, which I think were the first one was the first night game at Michigan stadium. Mm -hmm. And then there was uh, that Miami game in 17, which was like at a different level. That was like a different level entirely. I don't, I don't even think that was actually a football game that I was covering. (laughs) I don't, I don't know if you have hit any of those. Is there, is there, I mean, is it sort of like Penn state is sort of loud, raucous, like, has got a little bit of a hostile vibe to it um, in terms of like how it, the, if the fans are like into it, they're really into it. Is that is Penn, Penn State, State maybe Penn, the best? Penn State, Penn State has a little more sustainability than I think even Ohio State. Again, I okay. think I, I, I just I, I don't know. This is just my hypothesis is that I think, again, the difference between college town and metropolitan city and listen you know columbus is not new york it's not chicago but it is a pretty big city and i do think that by drawing in a lot of adult fans and fans that do not have to travel very far to the game i i do wonder if that creates a little bit more of a pro atmosphere Mm. than because it does very much almost feel like a pro town to a to a, to a, to a degree because because it is a big city and has a zillion talk radio stations and 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 like you know obviously only one newspaper but other like different publications and there's there's a zillion people who cover the buckeyes it does almost feel a little bit more like covering an NFL team here uh, there's a little bit more of an NFL vibe. And if you've been in NFL stadiums, they don't have the, 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 the same kind of electricity as a lot of college stadiums. So I think that, um, it, it's better than an NFL place, but I, but I do think it has a little bit more of a pro town vibe. What about like the Ohio state itself? I don't know. What are you most interested to sort of see from a X's and O's, like an actual in-game story on Saturday night? What, what sort of piqued your interest the most? Yeah, listen, I think we're all kind of interested to see what this defense looks like, um, you know, with Jim Knowles running it. 
who is the Oklahoma State defensive coordinator, who everybody in, in Notre Dame is certainly very familiar with after playing Oklahoma State at the end of last year. Um, and, you know, Ohio State, I am no X's and O's guy, but basically Ohio State has sort of lived by the premise of we're going to play pretty simple defensively. So I, I'll give you a, a very brief history of how the, this uh, this evolved. When Shiano was here uh, uh, back in 2015-16, they had some uh, some defensive break, some shoddy defensive seasons, maybe it was 17 or 18. Um, what they felt like was going on was they were coaching too much. They would make a mistake. We got to fix that. We, let's let's do this, this, and that. Oh, we, that game didn't go very well. Let's go back to the drawing board. Let's fix that. They bring Jeff Halfley in in I guess it's in 19 days first year from the NFL, and the the premise was more. You know what? We got really good athletes here. Let's go single high safety. And and run it that way. Quarters coverage. We're not going to. We're going to try to stay relatively base as far as you know our our uh, our personnel. Oh, and by the way, we have Jeff Akuda and we have Chase Young. They're top five draft picks. So we'll have one side of the field locked down by a corner, and we'll have this monster, you know, disrupting everything up front. Like you know, going back from the Bosa days. Halfley leaves. But not only does Halfley leave, but Young and Akuda move on, and they and and the simplicity and the simplicity of their defense, and the fact that they sort of stuck to the same thing all the time. You know, in the 2020 national championship game against Alabama, they're lining up three linebackers. <laughs> I think. I mean, t- was it Tough Borland who was trying to yeah. cover Devonta Smith in the slot? And you're like, no, like before and, the and, snap. And they were pretty good players. But they just like you. This does not work. And last year they had problems with run fits. And again, like so, I think this year what I'm interested in is: do they have more in-game solutions? It seemed like the last few years they went from we're too complicated. Let's sim- let's simplify it. Okay, that worked. Now we're maybe too simple to the idea that like we never counterpunch here. We just try to do what we're doing better and hope that it works. And. With Notre Dame, you know, the formula here for Notre Dame is to see if they can do what Michigan did to Ohio State, right? right. Pound on them for a, few, a little while in the running game, and that's how you'll stay close with their big offense because we're not really going to be able to stop them all that all that often. So with Notre Dame almost certainly having that plan, I'm interested to see what the counter is for Ohio State. If they're going to get gashed like they did last year by Notre Dame and Oregon. And with, uh, I was interested in your point of view from uh, the head coach's perspective because, like, I think so much of this, for, you know, I cover Notre Dame, so I'm writing a lot about Marcus Freeman. You go back to Ohio State, there's like a ton of narrative there. Brian Day, to me, like, okay, you lose to Oregon last year and then you lose to Michigan, which is like an unforgivable sin. Utah game, you win it, doesn't really look the way maybe you wanted it to look. Um, and now you, you come in with a team that is sort of billed as like Alabama's one A by some people. Um, the I pressure to win a national championship. Okay, I mean the yeah. pressure on Day, I think, is is pretty unique. I don't, I don't think it's something that he's felt in his first few years on the job because it was just like it felt more like free rolls for him with the talent they had on hand and just sort of where the program was. Yeah, it's a weird. Uh, type of pressure because of that juxtaposition because because now Ohio State has become something of 1A, 1B, you know, 
it, it's moved into this elite space via its recruiting and how much it has dominated the Big Ten. But hey, we don't have one of the biggest trophies. We don't have we we haven't had yeah. one of those since 2014. And Clemson's got it, got two, and Georgia's got one. And of course, Alabama does its Alabama thing. So if we are in that category, sh- isn't it time to get one? You know, sh- so like if the coach doesn't win a national championship, does he get fired? Well, that's that's a pretty ridiculous <laughs> standard. So that's clearly not the standard. But when day when you lose two games and you blow out your defensive staff and you tell people, hey, listen, that's just not acceptable around here. We don't lose two games around here. Now, I understand to a certain degree you have to say that if you're the head coach at Ohio State. Um, but it's a weird space. It, it's a strange space that they are in where they have risen to the level where, hey, man, we, you can never lose to Michigan. Like no Ohio State yeah. coach was ever <laughs> in a position you. where you can never lose to Michigan. Um, I, they are better situated now to do that than ever before, but it, it they have risen to a, an interesting level where, you know, your colleague and my nemesis Ari Wasserman will tell me that Ohio State is, <laughs> and I say that with love, that Ohio State has been a disappointment. They've underachieved over the last, you know, five or six years, which is they've won the conference every year but one. Right. Like, is that even possible? So it's a strange space that that day and Ohio state occupy right now. Yeah. It's, I feel like it is not a great comparison, but I, I, it reminds me of like when Charlie Weiss took the job at Notre Dame, you had the first great season where the, uh, they only went nine and three, but it felt like a restaurant or, you know, the restoration of Notre Dame football and they go 10 and three the next year, but it felt very empty. And I feel like Ohio state sort of getting into the empty, like 10 went a 10 and two season just feels like empty calories a little bit. Yeah. And it, 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 it strikes me as being almost like disappointing. Like really? Like that's like, how would you be, how fun is this? If you can't right. enjoy winning the Rose bowl, like if you walk away from an 11 and two season thinking, boy, that sucked. Like, wow. Like, <laughs> How are we going to make you guys happen? Listen, I, I will say this, though, and this is a broader, more philosophical, theoretical conversation. You would think that's the type of thing that drives Ryan Day to the NFL, right? I mean, at a oh, certain yeah. point, if you are the coach who cannot be satisfied winning 11 games, who can never lose to their rival, who if they don't make the playoff, it is a disaster of a season. And if you don't win the national championship, yeah, we're kind of disappointed. At a certain point, I would think that's what would, you know, what would, would what would drive a guy like Ryan Day to say, you know what? I think I've done all I can here. Let me go somewhere where I'm allowed to lose a game every once yeah. in a while. <laughs> yeah, you can lose six and you have a very good season. That's yeah. not a yeah, that, that there are no like you said, it's a weird space because like we talk about the top tier of the sport being Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State, and Ohio State is not really like Alabama and Georgia in terms of the on-field success. Not uh, yet, not at, not, the, at the end but, of the it only year, take, and it only takes one. It right. really only, and listen that you know they do it this year. Yeah, Georgia, that trophy. like Georgia would tell you that last year, right? I mean, Georgia yeah. was like, 
okay, it was Alabama and Clemson, and well, now Georgia's joined it. Why? Because they went all the way. Oh. And and Pete, it just it goes back to the idea of, of how much Alabama has skewed our perception about the entire sport. Right. And listen, you and you understand it very well because you cover one of the teams that gets dismissed for only being good enough to win ten games. I had some good right? Zoom calls with Brian Kelly on that uh, point that got a little testy when I tried to ask about like you know how do you, how do you catch up to somebody like this? And he's just like, are we not going to get any credit for what we've done? And I'm like, I'm not. I'm not trying to take away from that. I just the the interesting story is closing the last gap, not the fact that now you have won 42 straight games against unranked teams. Well, and you know, listen, I, here's my last thing on Freeman, right? I mean, I think that the question is, and we, I think we talked about this on this pod when we we back you know months ago is. Is there another gear available for Notre Dame oh, yeah. in recruiting? And can Marcus Freeman unlock that? Yeah, there's no question. I mean, that's I think that's why Freeman has excited the fan. There's a bunch of reasons why Freeman has excited the fan base. But I think one of them is like you felt like Brian Kelly was a very high floor and the ceiling, but it was a low ceiling from that floor. You were, you were, walk, you were like hunched over walking around with yeah, six foot ceilings. Right, right. It's like, this is not comfortable. I don't like this. Like, I, <laughs> I know I have a nice place here, but I'm not enjoying it. Whereas Freeman feels like ev- everything's possible. That, that might mean going eight and four too. You know, that everything is possible includes the downside of that too, as a first time head coach. Like I don't, you know, Brian Kelly should get a lot of credit for winning basically every single game he was supposed to win because that's really hard to do. Um, and it was we, something that wasn't happening with regularity no, at Notre Dame. No, <laughs> absolutely not. Yeah, and it's and it, I think in a lot of ways that's Brian Kelly's success put the program in a position to hire somebody like Marcus Freeman, where you could take a chance on an inexperienced head coach because everything else was in good shape. And that's well, not I how always, it was the Brian Kelly got here. And what I always try to get across to Notre Dame fans and non-Notre Dame fans, because this conversation ends up flying around Notre Dame a lot and hanging around their neck like an anchor, is that this is not a Notre Dame problem. This is a college football problem. This is a this is this is a problem throughout all of college football where these two or three super teams have moved away from everybody else. And how do you catch them? How do they come back to the field? The clustering of, you know, uh, five-star talents. But a, a lot of other programs are dealing with it. The problem is Notre Dame is Notre Dame and is dealing with it most publicly. Yeah. You know, in the most <laughs> high-profile way. Yeah, that's the downside of having an NBC contract. Um, yeah. you, you get to you get to work out your problems on national television, not the Big Ten Network. Um, <laughs> all right, we'll wrap up on this. Like, I want to ask you for a prediction, but like, Ohio State wins if Notre Dame wins if. I mean, Ohio State wins <laughs> <laughs> if they just show up. Yeah, it's it's not that easy. I think Ohio State wins if they don't have any of the massive defensive breakdowns that they had last year in their losses. If they are able to in any way sort of, you know, hem in Notre Dame's running game and not get pounded by an offensive line that I think has the potential to be absolutely outstanding. Um, I think Ohio State should be just fine because I, I assume they're going to score at least four touchdowns and maybe a couple field goals. On. Like I'm just assuming Ohio State gets into the 30s. Notre Dame wins. I think it looks something like Oregon's win last season where. Your offense plays very well and you run the ball very well. 
but I also think it's not, hey, we we shut down Ohio State's offense. It's we stopped them on a fourth and three yes. from the 16. Yes. And instead of coming away with three or, or we fought, forced them to finally kick a field goal because they had missed a fourth down uh, in the red zone and they came. Now they're thinking, oh, well, we need to catch up now. We need to grab that field goal. Like in the Oregon game, Ohio State, I believe, had 600 yards of offense. Yep. It, they, but they just didn't turn enough of them into touchdowns. So if, if Ohio, if, 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 Notre Dame can do a combination of run the ball really well, limit some possessions a little bit and make a few like red zone stops. Maybe there's a place where now it's a 31 28 game. It's a 34 31 game that Notre Dame could possibly win. Um, but I think the, I think that the path to a Notre Dame victory is pretty narrow. I, yeah, I agree. And like the Oregon game to me, it's like for how much I think Notre Dame fans have looked at that and be like, okay, rushing, Carries and rushing yards. I'm like, you need to look at fourth down conversions. Ohio State was o- like, not only were they O of three, but their offense was good enough to, I think, make Ryan Day think about game situations because they scored early. Ohio State was losing at the time of all three fourth down attempts. So that's why I, I sort of look at it as like, you got to play great situational football, but you need Tommy Reese to sort of game it up where at the end of the first quarter, it's 14 to 10 or it's 10 to three. Like Notre Dame has to have a lead at some point to make Ryan day think about like, all right, this is, this is not going like Michigan state last year when I was up 49, nothing at the half. Yeah. I, I, my, and I was just literally talking about this with my brother who, who lives here in Columbus and will, I could explain the, uh, the touchdown Jesus uh, photo over my back. Um, You know, I don't think this game is going to be particular, particularly close, but you could sort of see like it's 14, nothing Ohio state. Oh, it's 14, seven. Maybe we got a game. Oh, now it's 21, seven. Yeah. Oh, it's 21, 10 at half. Well, that looks like a football game. That looks like a competitive game. And then it's 28, 10 and it never really is Ohio state being threatened. Right? Yeah, it's Ohio I, State responding whenever they need and never really being threatened. I, you I, can't I, fall I, behind by two scores if you're Notre Dame. To me, that's like that's beyond danger zone at that point. It's yeah. like and, two, and I could very and I could much. very much see that happening because I just think that that's that Ohio State is built to do that. They're yeah. built to 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 blow you up early. I agree. Well, for the sake of narrative, I think we'll both be pulling for that not to happen on Saturday night because I think a doesn't make much of a game story. A, yeah, a burner or like a a great game in the fourth quarter would be incredible to watch. Also, I'd be interested to see how many people view that. I feel like it's got a chance to be sort of be a oh god twelve yeah. fifteen million fifteen million viewer type of audience. So. I yeah, my first time at Ohio Stadium. I'm looking forward to it. We will uh, reconnect in the press box there. Uh, enjoy your stay in Columbus in your Notre Dame themed guest room, uh, yeah. and I will see you Saturday night. Thanks for joining the Shamrock, Ralph. Thank you very much, Pete. See you soon.